Praise God for the blessing that He gives us. To be fair, I've ridden with you when you were driving. <laughs> hey, but I'm still here. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, um, for the last six weeks, we've been looking at what it means to be a kingdom man, um, and, and we're going to be starting on the, uh, the second half of this. This is going to be a very short series. All right, I'm going to tell you. Two to three sermons. That's it. Um, I I wasn't going to do it at all, but when I started looking at at the topic and looking at um, um, the material, I said, "Well, it would be appropriate to do um, a second half to this." And actually, it was it was Rose that talked me into it. So, if you want to if you want to blame anyone, blame Rose. Um, it's actually funny that I was joking that um, people would throw rotten fruit during this particular sermon and. Uh, I, I, half the people I've seen today have come in with baskets of food. And I don't know. There's a lot of it. That's all I know. Most of it's big, and so um, I just I need to put up chicken wire or something to keep me protected. Um, the other thing that's going to be unusual about this is we're going to be looking at Proverbs 31. This is an often quoted passage. Um, and, and as I started looking at it, started digging into it and preparing for this message, um, I, I couldn't get around the fact that this is a poem, right? Like, it, it's a poem. And, and because it's a poem, the, there's certain things that go along with that. In your bulletin, there's a little insert, unless you've got the large print version, which is the one I'm using. Um, the insert is because we're not going to go through it verse by verse, like 10, 11, 12, 13. We're going to jump around a little bit, and it'll make sense as we go, Okay. So be aware, that insert there is for you to look at it, you suddenly get lost, and you're like, why is he talking about that? It's because of the poem. Okay, that's it. Um, and I'll explain that a little more in a second. Um, the, the general idea of what we're, what we're going to be looking at today is we're going to be looking at, at what it means to be um, a woman who, who is a woman of God's kingdom, right? Um, what does it mean to be somebody who stands in, you know, in the world, and, and people look at them and say, that is somebody who is representing Jesus. Right, and and not all of this is going to be easy stuff. So I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Ross told me before service. They keep saying that he's going to protect people from beating me up, and he said he's not going to help today. So, <laughs> um, so here are the big background ideas. Um, how first one I just talked about uh, how it applies to women, and we're going to begin in Proverbs. The trick with Proverbs is that this is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature is a particular genre of book, okay? Like, if you pick up, I don't know, uh, a Tom Clancy novel, that's fiction, right? It's a particular type of fiction. If you pick up, um, say, a biography of Abraham Lincoln, it's not going to be the same as the Tom Clancy novel. Everybody got that? Um, if you pick up Twilight, you'll put it down right away. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Sorry, I really wanted to work that joke in. Um, and so, like, when we read this, we have to interpret it based on the type of literature, okay? We don't have, really, wisdom literature in modern America. Like, this isn't a, a genre that's going to be familiar to us. What it is, is, and it's tough when you read, the, like, Proverbs, because the genre throws you off. It's, it's sayings, or collections of sayings, or in this case, a poem, that describes an ideal, right? This is the way the world should be, right? Right? Um, and so, like, like um, as you read it, 
it'll, it'll present sort of the wisdom of this thing, and, and this is how the world should be. Now, if you read like Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is the opposite. It's the, the way the world is, and it's a much harder, darker, more difficult book, and, and eventually we may do a sermon series on it, but not today. Um, so um, as we look at this, understand that all of these passages describe the ideal. Everybody with me? Okay. Um, the role of women in Proverbs is another thing that's worth noting. Um, throughout the book, um, women are used to personify wisdom, right? So when you read about wisdom, or when you read about women, women are standing in the place of wisdom. And so like a lot of times, there, there are a couple spots where it says to young men, avoid harlots, right, or prostitutes, right? Avoid them. They're, they're going to ensnare you, they're going to screw up your marriage, they're going to screw up your life, stay away from these people, don't go to their house, don't stand near them, don't be associated with them, stay away from them, right? And, and to a degree, that's talking about actually avoiding loose women, right? But it's also like about like avoiding certain ways of living, right? Or false religion or what have you. Um, because wisdom literature is kind of layered, it's kind of tough. All the way through the book, there's sort of this negative element, and then at the end we have this, what is an ideal wife? And, and so that's what we're going to look at. Everybody with me? So there's a couple of layers of this as we look at it, but um, just be aware. Um, the other thing is a poem. Um, there are two structural things that are built into this, which you're not going to get because it's in Hebrew. Originally it was in Hebrew, now we're reading it in English. Unless John wants to come up and read the Hebrew for us. No, John? <laughs> um, if you look at your outline, you'll see that it's sort of in a diagonal, because that's in a, it's called chiastic structure. It's, you're never going to have to use that word again, so you can forget it immediately. Um, chiastic structure is where the first line is connected to the last line, right? And the second line is connected to the second to last line, and the third line is connected to the third to last line. And all the way up, and there'll be one line in the middle. And the one line in the middle is the point, right? And so the point of the whole poem is right in the middle. Um, but if you read the first line, it's good to read the last line so you understand what all he's saying. Sometimes there'll be two halves of thought. John is laughing at me. Um, the other thing is that this is done in an acrostic formula, which is another thing that's really lost with the Hebrew. Um, it's alphabetical. You ever read one of those books where, like, A is the first sentence, and so the first word of the first sentence starts with A, and the first word of the second sentence starts with B, and the first word of the third sentence starts with C? And that's exactly the way this is set up, except that it goes A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, G, F, E, D, C, B, A. <laughs> I could have done it without looking. I just thought it'd be fun to do it that way. Um, except that it's in Hebrew, so it's a left, bet, uh, gimel, etc. Um, so everybody with me? Like, I didn't just pull this poetry thing out of my ear. This is really the way it's written. And, and actually doing this particular, these two structural things together is pretty unusual. And this guy probably took a lot of time to write it, and it's really intentional. And so, like, that, that draws extra attention to the fact that we should pay attention to the structure. All right, that's it. So we're done talking about structure. I know everybody loved that part of high school where you learned about poems and structure and stuff. So I decided to include it. The other thing is the original audience of this. The whole book is written for young men. Okay? Everybody got that? The book is written for young men to instruct young men. Does that mean that there's no benefit for anyone else? No, not at all. But it's important to understand, like, what's going on here. That's particularly important because um, this is written during a time, right about the third point down there, when Veronica is coming to 
meaning that you didn't just find a girl, date, and marry, right? Your family went out, they looked at neighboring families, they picked a wife for you, and they bought or they paid a dowry, right, for a bride. And so, like, as we're looking at this, this is a little like our guy. Um, except there was no Chevy dealership. Right. Sorry, I was going to make a joke, and I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it. Um, the other thing, as we read this, there are two ways to read um, this type of book. A lot of times people read by allegory, right? Allegory is when you say, this represents Jesus, and this represents this. This isn't an allegory. We don't read by allegory when we read the Bible. This is typology, meaning that there are certain things that exist in the world that point to Jesus and teach us about him. This is a lot of front-loading, right? Anybody sitting here in this part yet? Um, it's a lot of front-loading because it's kind of complicated. And I want to make sure I present this well. Um, it's typology. So as we read about this, it tells us about wives, right? At the same time, it tells us a little bit about how we are supposed to be in relation to Jesus. Okay? And so as I go through this, I'm going to touch on both. Everybody with me? Um... It's important because um, if I just read this and tell you about this is how wives are supposed to be, I'm giving you law, right? Law is the rules to follow. And, and ultimately, the rules to follow is just the rules to break, right? Anybody good at following rules? <laughs> we all break rules. We all sin. Ultimately, when we get law, it's just more stuff we can't do. And so if, if you're listening to this sermon and you say, oh, man, I'm bad at that, I'm bad at that, I'm bad at that, I must be a terrible wife. First off, it's the ideal, right? Um, and only my wife is the ideal. She's not even here here. Um, so first off, it's the ideal. Secondly, it's law, and it's something that we're not going to be able to do because we're sinful by nature. And so, like, like we're going to touch on that in a little bit, but there's a lot to go. And we started late, and there's a lot of songs and a lot of announcements, and so we're going to kind of dig into this. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is Ephesians 5, 25 to 29, right? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay, this is Paul, and this is kind of the lens we're going to look at this passage through, right? Paul says, look. Husbands, love your wives the way Jesus loved the church. Because Jesus takes the church, which is like the bride of Christ, and he washes her with his blood through, the, through his death on the cross, right? And then he sanctifies her through the water and the, and the spirit um, and the word. Like, so like, like Christ takes the church and he changes it. So the day I become a Christian, I'm not perfect. I become closer to what Jesus wants me to be as time goes by. And so, like, as we look at this, as a church, we need to aim at it, right? As wives, we need to aim at it. But you aim at it because God helps you get there, not because you're perfect, okay? This is a much nicer front load than I gave for men because I'm more afraid of the women. Um, <laughs> Ross would protect me with you guys. <laughs> Proverbs 31.10, so we're going to dig into it. And um, the parallel of this is 30 through 31, but we're not going to do that till the end. Um, an excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. Now he says, listen, a great wife, where are you going to find one? And he's basically saying, this is tough to find, right? Everybody ever buy a used car? Does it feel like 
oh my gosh, where am I going to find one? Right? Where am I going to find one that's not awful? That's a terrible parallel for women. I'm sorry I did that. <laughs> but, but the emphasis here is, look, as you go out and you look for a wife, it's darn near impossible to find. And when you do find her, her value is enormous. Right? Her value is truly enormous. It's beyond, like, like just ordinary gold and silver. It's like precious, precious jewels. Right? Um, this is true of life. Right? It's true of marriage. It's also true of the church. When, when Christ comes to earth and he looks for his bride, right, he pays an enormous price for her, right? He pays an enormous price for you. Everybody hear me? He died for you. He tortured, bled, and died for you. Um, and so, like, like your, your perfectness as a spouse to Jesus is a huge deal. Um, he goes on. So the first thing high value of a good wife. Second, 11 to 12, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not evil, all the days of her life. Meaning, so the husband looks to the wife and he's actually able to rely on her, right? And she brings good things to him. Um, so ideally, as a wife, a husband's supposed to trust you, right? Trustworthy. And there's supposed to be good things that come out of it. Um, oftentimes, I've talked to married people who say, you know, I got married thinking it would be this, and all I'm doing is, is, is costing me, right? Like, like, it's not the way I want it to be. Um, ultimately, that's sometimes the case. Um, I would argue it's oftentimes the case with the church, right? You turn on the TV, you can see churches doing dumb stuff. You know, read the news, you read about churches doing dumb stuff. The church, the bride of Christ, we're supposed to represent them in an awesome way that makes people say, wow, I want to be a part of that, right? Moving along, Proverbs 13 through 19 is the verse. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. Um, so what's going on there? Well, um, she's, first off, she's hardworking. The big theme for all of these verses is hardworking, like a good wife would be hardworking. The first half of that is she's industrious, meaning she looks for stuff and she makes stuff out of it, right? She, you know, focuses and does. Um, this is something it's good for wives to do. It just is, right? But it's also something that the church ought to be doing. We ought to be looking for, like, the best in the world and making it better. We ought to be looking for the lost and the people that Jesus died for, bringing them to Christ and helping them grow up, right? The church is to be industrious. But wives, this is a part of the deal, right? Like the ideal, not the deal, the ideal, the thing to aim for, is this. Um, she, is, she is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. Um, in, in this culture, what this means is she brings improvement to their lives, right? Um, she actually goes out and trades. Um, she takes what they have. How many of y'all live on a farm? How many of y'all have a garden? I mean, if y'all, like, you produce a certain collection of vegetables, and if that's all you had, your diet would be pretty good, but not really, like, diverse. Does that make sense? Um, in this culture, there was no supermarket. There was a market, and you could go and trade, and that's what he's talking about. This wife takes what they have and trades it for other stuff to bring variety, right? And a good wife brings variety into the life of her family because she cares. Because she loves her family, she does that. 
Um, the other end of that is the church. What does the church do? Well, part of what we're called to do is bring good things. Do good things. Bring variety. Bring joy. Bring blessing to the world. Um, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. Not lazy. Sound right? <laughs> and and I always, and it, there's this TV stereotype of the wife who watches Oprah and eats bonbons and you know, I, I, I hope to be one of those wives one day myself. It <laughs> was a joke. Wow. Am I that boring today? Um, <laughs> um, but a good wife works. She tries hard. This is the ideal, right? She puts the effort in. Um, does she do it because she has to? No. She does it because her, she loves her family, right? She does it because she cares. Because she wants to put that effort in to take care of folks. Same is true of the church, right? It's our job to work hard. It's our, our job to work hard for Jesus, specifically. Um, it's our job to go out and serve his people. It's our job to feed people who have that food. It's our job to, to be diligent in it. It's not that easy, is it? But it's something that the Spirit moves us toward. Um, she considers a field, buys it, and her earning from her earnings, she plants a vineyard. Now, this is kind of cool, right? Um, because women didn't do business during this era. Women didn't buy fields. Women didn't plant vineyards. This isn't what women did, right? In fact, this is sort of a manly activity. Um, but it's okay, right? It's okay for her to go out and work because she's, I mean, honestly, it's something you do for your family. I, I love my wife. She is a wonderful woman. She works very hard, and, and she, she has an income, a very significant, more than I make, at least, I don't know. Um, Jess, do you do it because you love your job or because you love your family? I love my family. Um, that's what right she is. Um, she works hard. She brings in income. Why? Because she loves her family. Um, this is what the ideal wife, Jessica, um, <laughs> She works out of love for her family. And it's not wrong for her to work. There are some people, oh, woman, kitchen, sandwich, that's it. No. You know, it's about service. Ultimately, like the big theme you're going to see here is, I love my family, I love my spouse, I serve them. By the way, when we do offerings, right? Um, always make it back to offering. It's important as a pastor to talk about money sometimes. <laughs> As we do offering, this is about us working, right? And bringing back to provide for other folks, right? Um, we support missions. We take care of people that are tight on their money. We, we serve people through the counseling ministry of this church. We do things. And, and your offering is a part of that. It's a gift back to God, right? And it's providing in that way. Um, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This is actually the second half of the previous verse, meaning she works, right? She puts effort into it. She's not lazy. She digs in and does what needs to be done. Um, she senses that her gain is good and her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hand to the, di to the distaff and um, her hands grab the spring, grasp the spindle. I can read, really. Um, here again, this, this passage, what it's talking about is she works hard. Right? She's diligent. She puts the effort in. She makes sure that stuff gets done. Um, can I get an amen from the farmer's wives? Because I'm sure you could put in hours on the opening business. 
<laughs> this is the ideal. Why? Because women are slaves? No. Because they love their families. Um, why does the church work hard? Why are we called to do things that are above and beyond? Because we're slaves to Jesus? Well, part of it, yeah. But we're <coughs> slaves to the love of Christ that lives in us. We serve Jesus with what we have, and we're diligent in it because Jesus died for us. Because Jesus is worthy of that love. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Um, this is verse uh, 27. So this is the opposite end of this. The previous section we looked at is one chunk of the poem, right? On the other end of it, meaning she looks after her household and she's not lazy, right? I mean, it's basically the same idea. Are you with me? So that's the parallel there. That's the poem structure. I knew it was in there somewhere. I just had to get to it. Um, the two together here for Proverbs 20 and 26. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. The ideal is compassion, right? Anybody, I mean, like, like it's easy to be hard to people, isn't it? It's easy to, to look the other way. In fact, actually, we're used to our culture where people actually give money to the poor, right? Because America is a very different culture. Um, there's a saying in India, the tears of another man's family is just water. Um, I, I read an interesting article. Remember when Japan they had those earthquakes and the nuclear meltdown and all that? Um, the front page of the Chinese like national newspaper um, said, uh, like boasted that they sent five relief workers to Japan. Why? Because it's unusual. Because most of the world, like if you ain't one of us, we don't care. Um, what Christ calls us to be, the church, right? Right? In the bride of Christ, if we look around, 
And there are folks in our community who aren't taken care of, who aren't dressed for the snow. That's not okay. Does that make sense? That's James. Um, what, you know, what good is it if you wish a man well, if you say, I'll pray for you, but you leave him naked and hungry? No, that religion's worthless is what James says. Ultimately, the church's job is to take care of our household. Right? Look around you. I mean, really do it. Look around you. These people are your household. You're here to take care of them. This is part of your job. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. All right, she smiles at the future. Why? Because she's not afraid of it, right? Because she's taking care of her family. Why should we not be afraid? Well, look, I'll tell you, if you're in trouble and you turn to us, we're going to help you. Or we're going to do our darndest to help you. If we, you know, if, like that's what we do. That's what the church is called to be. It's the truth of it. Um, not only that, her clothing isn't the richest, it's strength and dignity. The ideal wife, um, the ideal bride of Christ, carries herself in strength and dignity, and that's what makes her beautiful, right? All right, husbands, real quick. Any of y'all ever look at your wife and recognize that she's extremely strong, and you're like, wow, that's great. I love that. I see nodding heads. It's the truth. <laughs> um, it's the truth. Because it's the ideal. Like when a husband has a wife, but when Christ looks to the church, strength and dignity um, are better than nice clothes. It's better than, than anything else. Um, 22 and 24, again, we're going through the parallels. She makes coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. For herself. This is an odd phrase. This actually means that she makes coverings for the bed. Okay? I'm going to back up before people start throwing stuff. So she makes the bed comfortable, nice, and inviting, and dresses up in comfortable, nice, and inviting ways. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, somebody else, for saying that. Um, why? Well, because she has to? No, because she loves her husband, right? I, I, I'm going to step a little further here, and I really shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. This is a neat husband's hat. And oftentimes, why don't look at it with disdain, or just don't want to, or don't feel like it, or whatever. fact of the matter is that the ideal is take care of your husband. Why? Because you have to? No, because you? Love him. Because you love, could you say it a little louder? <laughs> because you? Love him. Um, this is a tougher one to parallel with the church. I'm going to say it. Um, the reality of it is, the church should be attractive to Christ. Right? When we worship, we worship not because we feel like it, but because we love him. Right? When we do good works, when we serve him, when we do these things, we don't do it because we have to. We do it because... We are passionately in love with Jesus. We keep ourselves pure and unstained by the world because we're passionately in love with Jesus. Um, the opposite verse to this, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Um, linen, by the way, is in the first verse and in the other one. Linen is, is not a, a product that's native to Israel. So this is an imported fiber from Egypt, probably. It was relatively expensive. So she takes care of the people around her, her husband and her, with her energies. But that energy isn't completely spent there. It goes in other directions, right? Not in that sexual kind of way, but in, um, in, in the fact that her energy is still like, like 0.1% 
pointed toward, like, like the gain of her family and taking care of the people around her. Everybody with me? Okay. The central verse of the passage, okay, this was written for men, okay, and it says, her husband is known in the gates and he sits amongst the elders of the land, meaning, women, if you want your husband to be a certain way, or husbands, if you want to, like, be well recognized, find a wife who fits this mold. Why? Because you don't become great on your own, your family helps you get there, right? You see a man who will hold his head high? It's a man whose wife shows him he loves her. She loves him. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Um, it's a man who, whose wife supports him. It's a man whose wife takes care of his needs, takes care of the family. He's not fighting with her constantly. She's not nagging him constantly. She lives in a certain way and carries a certain grace. Now, why? Some of you are sitting there and thinking, my husband doesn't deserve that. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Oh, that you can amen. <laughs> it doesn't matter. If you want your husband to be a certain way, you can nag him and argue with him. Is that likely to change him? Maybe, but probably not. What the scripture defines as the thing that changes us is the Holy Spirit, right? What brings the Holy Spirit about? Acting in a Christ-like way and speaking Jesus' word and being in line with him, right? You want to change your husband, this is how you do it. And it's love. Oh my gosh, I gotta love him? Yes. And love isn't just a feeling, it's a thing you do. Right? It's taking care of, it's living a certain way, it's it's feeding, it's 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 this stuff, right? That's how you change your husband. Um, and if he doesn't change, it doesn't matter because doing this is gonna change you. And it's gonna make you more Christ-like. Because ultimately, let's put this in perspective, right? Jesus loves us, and he acts a certain way towards us. Do we deserve it? No. No. In fact, actually, if you look at it, like when he talks about the bride of Christ being beautiful and without flaw and all that, ultimately, most churches are like the girl with black eye, missing teeth, and, you know, humpback. I mean, it's, it's, the reality is the church doesn't act in a beautiful way for Christ. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to strive for it, Right? We're supposed to strive for a level of beauty that's exemplified in how we live. Um, are we going to reach that point? No. But it doesn't change the fact that Jesus loves us even though we're not perfect. Does that make sense? And the longer it goes, the more beautiful it becomes. Um, because it changes. Um, coming back to the same verse, right? I'm going to say it again. Husbands, love your wife just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up to her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, and he might present himself to her, um, the church, in all her glory, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, um, but that she would be holy and blameless. Like, Jesus is making us in the way he wants us to be. Um, wives, strive to be what God designed you to be. Um, last two sections here, and we'll be done. I know we're kind of running along, but we started late. Um, her children rise up and bless her, her husband also, and he praises her, saying, My many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. So meaning, right, this is opposite of, by the way, the um, the first verse there, it's way back in the beginning, where it talks about um, how, how um, she's worthy of praise. Husbands, recognize it and say it, right? How many of y'all have a wife that will do almost anything for you? How many of y'all recognize it and thank her and praise her for it publicly? 
the truth, isn't it? And some women work in quiet and without recognition and all that. And it is the case. But our job isn't, as husbands isn't to do that. The same is true of the church, right? Many of us are going to walk across the gates of heaven. We're going to stand before Jesus at judgment. And the ideal is to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Does the praise happen? I don't know about you guys. I'm looking forward to that day with everything that I am, right? That's the only praise I ever want to hear in my life. That's more than anything. I want that. Um, and the bride of Christ, when she reaches that point, we can be thankful that this is what we're looking for. Um, and this is what we can expect to hear. Charm is beauty, or charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. Um, Beautiful women, charming women, it's wonderful, isn't it? Ultimately, charm is deceitful. And beauty, like like at least our cultural standard of beauty, is completely unattainable, right? And even if you can't attain it, it eventually goes away. Looking pretty is not everything. It's the other stuff that really matters. It's the stuff that Jesus is refining us to be, to be selflessly in love with him. And in the case of wives, to be selflessly in love with your husband and to demonstrate it in how you live. Um, I, I, I couldn't think of an application because this is all application, right? Um, my challenge for you today is, um, look at this, men and women. Are you living this out in your relationship with Christ? And are you living this out in your relationships? Like in your marriage, in your, in your family, is this who you are? in relation to Jesus as a part of the church. Is this who you are? Um, pray, read, worship. This is how you become that. And work, try, right? Ultimately, if you fall short, it's okay because Jesus forgives us. But work at it. We're going to close in prayer. I hope we have a last song, which is good because I think I'm really long. Oh, do we have a last song? I think we're running a little long anyway, so we'll just finish up. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to hear your word. Help us to see your spirit. Help us to strive to become uh, ideal brides uh, to Christ and to our, our spouses. Lord God, I pray that you would help us to, to do so in love, not out of subjugation, not out of oppression, but, but out of passionate, mad love for our spouse, for Christ. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. amen.